0: Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impacts Director of Web and Interactive Content. Happy Wednesday, Content Labbers, or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday or whenever you're listening to this. I hope it's beautiful and happy. A week from today, I am going to be on vacation, an actual honest-to-goodness vacation. Not a staycation where I alternate between watching TV and feeling guilty for not working for five days and then later on in the middle of the night I'll sneak on my computer and do work anyway and stress myself out even more. It's a real vacation. We are actually going to Florida this year for my birthday, which is next Friday. And while that may sound like a contrary thing to do, given how much I loathe, despise, and abominate warmer weather, we're actually going to be visiting my brother, who is equally obnoxious. And he got us tickets to go to the Florida-Georgia game next Saturday. So it should be a really good time. That does mean, however, that I am currently in full-on panic mode as I prep to leave because leaving for a vacation when you're a full-time working adult is not exactly a party. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, whenever I'm in that week leading up to a vacation, I always feel as if I'm constantly running about 12 hours behind and everything is on fire. And that actually brings me to today's topic, which is time, or more specifically, my second favorite excuse that people give for not creating content, which is, I don't have enough time. Uh, If you've been listening, you know my first favorite excuse is, but I'm just not really a writer. But we already talked about that with Kevin Phillips in a future episode. If you missed it, check your feeds. But today, to tackle this meaty, I don't have enough time subject, I have invited Impact COO Chris Dupre who is not only an extremely busy guy himself, he also happens to be a pretty darned prolific content creator at Impact. So with Chris's help, we're gonna tackle this ain't nobody got time for that issue from two angles. First, how do you address this problem for yourself if you struggle to find the time to create content? And second, if you're a content or marketing manager or anybody who deals with driving your content strategy forward at your organization, How do you manage up to executive leadership or laterally to other people within your organization to hold them accountable for creating content for your business, especially if they're not delivering? That last one is super tricky. And I'll be the first one to admit it's a communication skill set that took a bit of time for me to really master. Uh, But this is probably by far one of my absolute favorite conversations that I've had so far for the podcast. So take notes listen closely, and enjoy. Of course, don't forget to stick around after my chat with Chris for today's One Thing and the Weekly Awesome, but with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Hello, friends. Welcome to my other podcast. How are you today?
1: I am well. Thank you for having me.
0: For my 0.5 listeners at home, would you please (laughs) share your name and what you do?
1: Yeah. Hey, this is, uh, Chris Dupre. I'm the chief operating officer at impact. Um, so in essence, I lead our executive team and have the awesome, um, responsibility, the awesome sort of privilege of getting to work with, you know, our VP of sales, our VP of services, our VP of marketing and our VP of talent, um, and aligning the team and helping us achieve, um, the things that we're trying to achieve for our audience, our clients, and ourselves.
0: Wow. So you're kind of busy? Like a little bit?
1: (laughs) That's all a frame of mind, right? I I would say that there are a lot of things that I have my hands in. um, But, you know, how I I don't know if I would say that I'm, uh, yes, so the ordinary, most people would say that I'm busy. We'll leave it at that.
0: (laughs) So obviously um, I didn't invite you here today to talk about how to be a COO because that sounds like something that I don't want to learn today or ever or at least within the next year or so. But beyond that, the reason I brought you here today is because aside from the most common excuse I hear from people, which is, well, I'm just not a good writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I discussed in a previous episode with our content uh, strategist, Kevin Phillips. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other most common challenges that a lot of people have is that, especially someone like me in my role, um, is that A, they're dealing with people who are above them. You know, like, let's, let's just be candid. You're above my pay grade. You're in that executive leadership role. Don't nod your head, Chris. Like tactically speaking at an organizational structural level. Fine. There is Liz and then there's Chris and, and that's the way it should be. You know, I'm a director, you're the COO and that's how it works. But it can be challenging for people in my position or content managers to manage people in executive leadership, especially if they're supposed to be contributing content On the flip side of that too, you also are in a unique position and why I wanted to bring you here today, because one of my favorite excuses that I get from people like that is they're just too busy. They're so important and meetings and stuff and things and budgets. And I don't care. I still have a deadline. This is our marketing strategy. You said you were going to be contributing. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a lot of this quote from Seth Godin, who says, you know, once you make the decision to blog, the question every day shouldn't be, should I blog? It's what I'm writing about. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk to you today about how people like me can manage people like you and then I want you to help me stage an intervention with people like you who may be listening, whether they're in sure. executive leadership or otherwise, about, sure. Sure, Jan, you don't have time. Okay. Right, of course. <laughs>
1: cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's funny, The as you bring up the Seth Godin quote, I automatically think to, um, as soon as I, and this applies to anything, but when I hear somebody say I just don't have time for it, what I actually Interpret that to mean is that this is not a priority for me and um, So 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 that's that's really you know what I think that I hear when people say well I don't have time to do X Y or Z. It's that it's not a high priority Um, and so like that first bit of You know the first answer really to your question about how do you and I love the fact that you called it manage like how does somebody manage whether it's manage up or manage other people to contribute is all about getting them to realize it's a priority and that their piece of it is, is a priority for the overarching purpose of the organization or for whatever we're trying to do. Um, so if you can frame it that way, you'll get more, hopefully get more buy-in from folks when they realize, Oh yeah, I see how this all applies to the bigger picture.
0: Now, I know one of the reasons I picked you specifically as the executive leader who I wanted to come on this podcast from Impact is because you have historically been a fantastic content contributor. You ask actively to contribute. You, You go out of your way to try to find new things that you want to talk about. You give me the most horrific death glares if I ever give you some sort of bullshit topic, like, seriously, you want me to write about this? Are you joking? Like, you really are invested in the process, so... Before we start talking about what people can do, I want to hear from you, from the perspective of an executive leader, why you think content creation is something that is worth your time for impact.
1: Yeah, um, I think the most, the simplest answer is that um, through the different, you know, journeys that I've been on and through the different roles that I've had in my you know, previous career, um, and and from from what I see in the workplace, and I see in certain things, um, I just feel like I have something to say that can benefit more more people than just the folks that I get to interact with daily at Impact. And so, you know, I'm I'm hyper passionate about um, effective leadership, um, and. Like I think that I think that it's something that should be talked about, and so with with Impact and our publication, I have that ability to reach a giant audience and and talk to so many different people you get so many people to see like the things that are inside, you know, the bald head of mine. Um, that it's just it's that that's what gets me going is that I get to I get to help others hopefully learn and develop and grow, which is what motivates me anyway. And it just so happens that writing or videos or podcasting or or whatever the the content that is asked of me, um, it helps to to achieve that. And it also happens to align with Impact's mission of helping others and their, you know, helping people in their organization succeed. Like nobody's gonna succeed at leading better if we don't write about it and talk about it and have those conversations, and that's what I can contribute, so I might as well contribute.
0: So let's say someone is stupid enough to make me a C-level executive at a company, let's just say, you know, chief operating officer at the Pumpkin Spice Muffin Company. I am Liz Murphy, that is who I am and that is what I do, but I have a less philanthropic outlook on content creation, it's not necessarily that I don't want to help people, mm-hmm. but really, what motivates me is I want to spend my time working on the business on mm-hmm. things that move the business forward. Mm-hmm. And I know that's something you're particularly passionate about because you're the guy as the CEO who goes, "These are great ideas, but how much will that cost?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so I'm curious how you how you view your content contributions through the lens of Moving business objectives forward for impact.
1: Yeah, so that's actually a So I have uh, two probably two answers to that and the first being that I Frankly don't know if the content that I contribute Can be directly tied to any potential revenue um, Option, you know any revenue creating streams here at impact. I think the content that I create helps our audience, and maybe helps expand our audience, which indirectly could tie to some of the ways that we make money.
0: I'm, um, I will interject there because I think there is a direct correlation to that in two ways. Okay. Um, and this is where I go from being like the fluffy, word-loving, you know, content director, to someone who also likes to keep lights on, have paychecks paid, you know, things like that. And you and I have talked about this. I like content that essentially makes money that closes deals. Sure, And sure what so. And what I like about your content is that, and this is lifting up the hood on impact, so to speak. So a lot of people know impact as an agency, but we have made this pivot to a publisher. And the publisher model essentially says, whereas an agency, we are delivering a product, our audience is the product. And so anytime you're creating that type of content, you are basically furthering the bottom line and legitimizing impact as a publisher. On top of that, it was your work at in that space in content creation on inbound leadership that led to your talk at Impact Live, which then again, further legitimizes the business. So sure. nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Okay. So, so that was me.
1: <laughs> but, but what I would say to Liz, the COO of the pumpkin spice muffin company.
0: There you go. Is
1: um, you have a unique position where you probably know more about that business and, and that product than, than most others because you're if you're a C-level executive, you either probably helped found or create, um, or you were brought in because of your expertise in a certain area. And so all of that stuff is great to keep the business going, but to, to your point, if you're trying to get more people to buy pumpkin spice muffins, and you can write about all the different things that go into it and become the teacher of the pumpkin spice muffin, um, people are going to come to you and look to you as that leader, which by the way, if you're in an executive role and you haven't accepted the fact that you have to be a leader, not just internally, but externally, um, you're probably going to struggle, right? So, so you should be writing or doing something to talk about that because it's going to help your overarching marketing stuff. It's going to help your overall sales stuff. And when at least my thoughts, or when I see an executive or a leader of an organization that's passionate about what they do, about what their company does, I'm much more inclined to do business with them when they're just some person on an org chart that you never hear from. Well, I don't know if I care to do business with you because I have so many different options, specifically in the world of pumpkin spice muffins.
0: It's a very competitive industry, you'd be surprised. right? be very right. surprised
1: but does that does that answer the
0: question yeah no it absolutely does um so my next question following that then and, and this is something i can't really speak to because again i my day-to-day looks very different from your day-to-day or bob our ceo or tom our cro mm-hmm. but how do you once you've decided through those different two different lenses that content is a priority how and when do you make time for it? Because, as we've discussed, you have a few things on your daily to-do list. Yeah.
1: Look, I, I make time. So, I have been trying, um, thanks to um, our our friend uh, Anne Hanley, I've been trying to actually write daily instead of just you know once a week or something like that. And and I, it it ebbs and flows, right? Just like anything else. Um, but but what I would say is, look, I. There are things that I have to do every week, every day. Um, and there are peak times for creativity and then there's also peak times for efficiencies based on you know, how well you know yourself. And so I try to make time by simply taking a look at where are my open blocks that also apply to what I can either be really efficient or really creative. And if I have an open block there, I'll throw time on my calendar to write. Like, so this afternoon, I actually have a time clock out because I didn't have any meetings and somehow the world opened up and it was like, Oh, your hyper creative time is like two o'clock to four o'clock. Perfect. So I will move myself to a coffee shop and put myself in a position to actually be creative and write um, where I can't like, I can still get pulled in through Slack or email, but I'm pretty sure that I'm going to turn on do not disturbs and the only thing that'll get me is if somebody calls me twice. Right. And, and so I do that. And then the uh, the last piece that I'd say is where you make time is you make time. So content's a priority for me. And so as an, as a senior leader of a company, I don't work nine to five Monday through Friday. I work whenever I need to work to get things done. So I will probably do some content writing Saturday morning and I'll probably do some content writing Sunday afternoon because I have space there to do it. And it's not that I'm a workaholic because I'm going to go do things with my family and I'm going to do whatever, but it's important enough for the organization and important enough to me that I make the time to, to do it.
0: You know, it's funny that you bring that up. It reminds me of moments when I say yes, for example, to a social plan and immediately in my head, I'm like, why, why did I do that? Why, why did I do that? And then mentally leading up to the event, I expend so much energy, avoiding it, dreading it, and honestly, usually trying to figure my way out of it. And so I spend all this time doing it and instead of actually just enjoying it or going to it or maybe you know, not being stupid and just having said no in the first place. Um, That's how I spend my time. And content reminds me a lot of that. Like a lot of people will say yes to contributing content, yes to doing all of these things. But then where they actually spend their time is finding ways to put it off. Yeah. Like they don't ever flip that switch in their head where they've mentally made the commitment that this is now a part of their regular routine, whether that's daily or weekly or monthly or whatever cadence is supposed to be involved. And they spend all of their energy avoiding it. But going back to something that you said that I thought was interesting is that you set yourself up for success to be creative. And mm-hmm. it sounds like Chris, the writer, As COO versus Chris, just the COO, those are two very different environments in terms of setting yourself up for success, both literally in terms of where you physically go, but also the structure you put around yourself. Yeah, well, so I wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't say that I switch between creative and analytical, because frankly, what's really funny um, is that I'm like, super uh, right brained. And so not so much the analytical type, right? Very much creative. And even in the approach that I do, the things are analytical probably. Um, But what I I guess I mean by that is for me to effectively do the other part of my job, which is the leading the organization, leading the teams, um, you know, coaching people. I need to be present with them and I need to sit in on a lot of meetings. And so that means I need to be at the office most of the time, even though we have a remote culture, um, when, when possible to, to be at a spot where at least another human is, that, that's where I try to be. But when I am doing any deep work, whether that's writing, whether that's putting together um, the financial plan for the next fiscal year, whether that's any of those things, like creating a deck to talk about a new initiative, I like to go be alone somewhere um, as opposed to where I do most of my work, which is standing out on the floor. Like I choose to, if I'm at the office, I go into our green room that's sort of quiet, um, throw on some music and put on do not disturb all over all my devices to go get that work done. Um, And what I found for when I'm writing, I can do that, but it's not as good as if I go to a spot where I'm not surrounded by other impactors, where I get a cup of coffee and I sit there and have to turn up my, my, uh, you know, AirPods even higher because the coffee shop has music in it. That's okay, but not what I need. Um, And I just sit there and find that I can just write, you know, a couple thousand words in an hour or two by being sort of freed up from the potential arm pulling or the potential, you know, look from somebody um, to get dragged into something else. So I don't, so that's, That's how I distinguish those things.
0: You're the guy at the coffee shop who looks like he's writing his screenplay. How awesome. Yes. Yes. I hope Spielberg discovers you soon. I really do. Yeah. Um, Well, what's interesting though about what you've been saying is that a lot of the things that you're talking about, I think are quite frankly applicable, whether you're an executive leader or not. If you are being asked by someone from the marketing team to be... contributor because typically with like for example within our brand team we don't need to sell people on you know like hey you should hit your deadline and like make an effort and like do stuff um but a lot of times in a lot of organizations one of the biggest challenges is getting people on board and making Mm -hmm. it happen but in a lot of the stuff you're talking about it doesn't matter what role you're in you know if your organization has made the commitment to content and you are committed to that organization I have a newsflash for you. You have now made the commitment to content because that is now part of your job. And once that commitment is in there, and I I really loved what you were talking about earlier about why it's important to the business, how it can establish, you know, how it can create those business opportunities and establish actual thought leaders and not just people who call themselves thought leaders on Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, that, then it becomes very easy. Then it's, you know, writing is still work. Content is still work. I always think it's really funny that people, like the litmus test people apply to content creation as being something worthy or working for them is whether or not it's hard. Writing is always kind of hard. You always kind of have to think about stuff. That's part of the process, it's how it works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, finding your space, maybe it's a coffee shop, maybe it's a conference room. Mine is usually around 5 a.m. I like it Mm to be quiet and I listen to ambient noise because I get too wrapped up in playlists. I I focus on the words that I'm listening to and I'll start typing out Beyonce lyrics (laughs) instead of what I'm supposed to be writing. Sure. Um, So let's switch back though to one of the first questions that we discussed, which is, it's been very interesting to hear from your perspective as an executive leader about why content creation is valuable and should be considered valuable by others in your position. Mm-hmm. But it can be really hard for people, especially people in this position tend to be pretty young. You know, okay. they're often coordinators, managers, and it can be very difficult to have those talking up conversations where you, you feel insecure because you're asking some, you're managing up as opposed to mm-hmm. someone managing you. How, what are some tips that you would have for people in that scenario? Because it's a hard conversation to have, especially if someone isn't delivering.
1: Yeah. Um, So, so to set the, to set the tone, we're, we're assuming that we're at an organization where the senior leadership has bought into content as the strategy. Correct. Okay. So, so look, the, the first thing that I would, I would tell anybody in that, marketing manager role is don't be afraid to go up and tell what, so yeah, don't be afraid to go up and tell anybody that they owe you something because it's part of the strategy, part of the plan, you need to do that. Um, but also I would say like, don't think that because somebody has a cool title or a big title like COO that they um, are any different than you. And I know that this sounds maybe to, I don't know what the right word is, but like for me, um, you know, we had to go through the whole hierarchy thing when you were joking about managing up because I happen to be one of those folks that doesn't really tend to want to think that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, you do have to judge what are your senior leaders like, but hopefully, especially as we continue to spread all these messages, um, more senior leaders will realize that they are simply human like the other person. And so, you know, we should be able to talk to each other. And as long as you don't approach it from the stance of like, um, you know, yelling at or trying to scold.
0: Or like you, a bitch better have my money stance, yeah. Sure, so if
1: you, <laughs> if you approach it more like, you know, hey, hey Chris, um, you know, we've got you on the calendar for three weeks out, you know, this is what we're hoping that you're gonna write about. How's that coming? Um, you know, start a conversation. Because half the time, and I can speak from experience, I sit there and go, when when is my thing due?" And, and somebody will tell Ramona, you know, here at Impact Ramona will tell me, or you will tell me Liz, like, oh yeah, your thing's due in a week and we actually need it in four days, so where is it at? And that's usually a spark to go, oh, I need to actually go sit down and write this thing And so it's not a nasty interaction. If you go with the, hey, remember that thing that you talked about that we said we were going to do? How's that coming? And it's more from a coaching standpoint or more from a, hey, I'm here to help. How can I help you get that done? You will get, my experience would be that it'll be easier, an easier conversation. Uh, I would
0: totally agree with that. And the thing I love about your answer so much is that it highlights probably one of the biggest rookie mistakes that I am guilty of that I made when I first started out as a content manager back in my days at Quintine is you wait for someone to have already disappointed you before you check in. (laughs) Yeah, you know, what I would always recommend, especially if you're onboarding new content contributors, whether you're talking about executive leadership or anywhere else within the organization, is that you have some sort of, it doesn't have to be defined, it doesn't have to be something you say explicitly to them, but you have kind of like a mental checklist that you go through when you're onboarding a new content creator. Ideally, you do have something written down, but, you know, I'm not, beggars can't be choosers, especially in small, flat organizations where content marketing is new. You know, check in with them, you know, say, like, hey, this is your topic. Have you thought about the persona that you're working on? Some people respond well to giving outlines in ahead of time, Chris, you are not one of those people. And that's totally fine. You work with what you've got. Um, and I also am not one of those people. Please don't ever ask me to write an outline. I really just want to get the thoughts out of my head and organize it the way I see fit, but really just kind of checking in with them, getting, it is a learning experience for them and for you They're learning what it's like to be a content contributor and you are learning what their strengths and what the opportunities are for them and how you can work with them to get the content created in a way that's going to be on time and what you need. So checking in with them initially when you give the assignment, maybe checking in about a week out to see how things are going. And I love what you said, is there anything I can be doing to help you? Or if somebody says, oh, I don't know, I don't think so. My favorite clarifying question is, is there anywhere where you're feeling stuck at the moment?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: because sometimes they'll say they're fine overall, but then there will just be this needling thing in the back of your head, in the back of their head. If you just give them a little nudge mm-hmm. that will help you uncover any sort of issue. Yeah. Um, and if they get, if they start understanding that you're going to be checking in on them, like not annoying a nag, like this shouldn't be like 9am where do you know where your blog article is? You know, right. like
1: right.
0: it shouldn't be that.
1: Well, it, it, it comes down to, you know, Simple sort of human decency, just of like if you approach it from a negative, you know, where's my stuff, you will probably then have a negative interaction. If you approach it from the compassionate perspective of how can I help and, and, and to your point, where are you stuck? What things can we do to get it going? You're going to get, unless, unless the I find it hard to believe that in an organization that adopts content marketing and inbound as, as a tactic or hopefully as a philosophy that you're going to have senior leaders that are going to not, um, not react well to that. How can I help perspective? Um, I think that that's just for, for, for content marketing to work, you have to have open minded, decent human beings, I think, because at the heart of it, you want to be teachers. Right. And so, if I'm a mar- if you're a marketing manager, like approach it from that perspective and you will nine times out of ten have a favorable interaction as opposed to if you were to approach even someone like me and say, "Where's my draft?" That's probably going to start a negative interaction, um, whether you intended it to or not. Mm-hmm. but but how we approach communication just as humans um, is is really the way that I would go.
0: It makes me wonder if there is any sort of way we could apply, you know, how you're working on your pillar for inbound leadership, which I'm so excited about. We could also do inbound content management principles because if you approach you know and that's one of the things i really try to do and and hopefully i do this with you as well and other people i work with is that i really try to genuinely be helpful and show the person that i'm working with and this is this is something i will admit that it took me a number of years in this type of role to get good at is to realize that you are going to be building relationships with the people who contribute for you and you create a special relationship as their managing editor, you sometimes become a therapist, you become their sounding board. Like there are a lot Mm -hmm. of different things that can happen there. And if you always approach it from how impact defines inbound, which is being as helpful as possible, like going out of your way to be helpful and you apply Mm -hmm. that type of principle as a content manager, I think that's important.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Look, it's it's the whole idea of being obsessed with the success of others. So no matter what your role, if you can put yourself in that position in the moment and and be completely obsessed, if you're a marketing manager, be completely obsessed about getting that CEO's article like perfect so that they look great. Like like but like you just, you're so concerned about them being successful that everything that you're doing, like when somebody acts in that way, it is clear as day that that's what they're trying to do. It is it, like, it removes all of the negative things that a hey, where's my stuff comes from. If you're like just so jazzed about them getting that video, that article, that whatever it is together because of how successful it's going to be for everybody for the organization, all those things people see that and then and, and they react to it. Um, and, and so I think it's, I think you're right, Liz, if you adopt our inbound manifesto, and if you believe the things that we believe, while these conversations, like while getting people to create content is always going to be difficult, if you approach it from that position, and if you can align it with, um, getting them to understand how important it is, not just for the business, but for themselves, if they want to be seen as leaders in whatever space that they're in. Um, you know, if you can do those things, you're going to get people, hopefully that are more like, you know, Bree, our VP of services, just published a great article um, on our blog that I know that you helped her with that, you know, she's one of those that needs to be writing stuff like that because she has a really awesome uh, perspective and a really big job at, at a company like ours. And, you know, she, hearing her thought leadership from, you know, from a female vice president of services. So the biggest part of our business, the top, potentially the toughest part of our business, the yeah. part that interacts with clients, right. Um, you know, working for, you know, a former infantry officer that like, get services, but is more focused on leadership than than client delivery. Maybe, um, you know, she's got a tough role, and and so her getting that out in market her and on the on our publication, like that's huge. And so you can make that out of every one of your leaders. You can make it out of every one of your teammates. And and if you get people jazzed up about it, you know, like that's the goal. Like. I,
0: I completely agree with that, and I have to say, in I this is not really where I expected this conversation to go. And I, I'm no, I'm so glad it did. It's why I love having you on these types of podcasts. I'm going to find another excuse to bring you on later. But I, I think what is immensely rewarding if you're someone in my position, or you're a content manager, or you're a marketing manager, and you adopt this kind of inbound approach to the way you manage your content calendar, I working with three and I'm going to put this and a link to the article in the show notes. It's about being nice at work and as a leader, doesn't hold you back. Um, and I remember working with her on that and you're absolutely right. The most rewarding piece of that was watching her story just come out mm-hmm. and you know, I helped, like I, I am giving her 100% credit on that because I nudged, but those are her words. That is her story. I asked her clarifying questions so she could move it in the right direction. And it is probably one of the most powerful things I've read. It's, you know, especially as a woman who is also a leader. And so when you are able to create those moments or work with people to help them create those moments for themselves, it it is probably one of the most rewarding parts of my job. And that was what taught me that this this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm, you know, and that is really exciting. Um, Now to kind of flip the script a little bit, there is a kind of, so I want to say this and it maybe, maybe you'll have some thoughts on it. And if you don't, that's fine. But I think one of the things that is not really addressed is that sometimes people think some people try to solve, it's like EOS, and Traction and Gina Wickman, and there, there's this whole section about IDS when you have to make sure you're solving the actual problem. Sure. So you go through this identify, discuss, solve, and the identification section of that discussion is the most challenging, because mm-hmm. you have to ask people a ton of clarifying questions of, is the problem you solved actually a problem or a symptom of a larger problem? Mm -hmm. Now, Sometimes when you're dealing with a one-to-one interaction or many one-to-one interactions, depending on how large your organization is, and those one-to-one interactions all center around people not delivering on time with your content, you need to determine whether or not you have an issue where maybe it's communication and you can adopt this inbound approach and it'll work, and maybe it's just tweaking some communication styles here and there and processes, or you may have a larger issue. Sometimes an organization, especially if they're new to content marketing, may not quite understand what exactly it is that they're getting into, or you may have what I like to call selective buy-in. So for example, this is not something we see impact. I'm just using our org structure as an organization sure. or as an example. So Bob is our CEO. He's extremely bought in on this pillar strategy we're working on, on us being a publisher. But imagine if you had a couple VTBs lingering who are like, yeah, totally, I get it. But in their head, consciously or subconsciously, eh, not for me. Mm-hmm. And you you can create these problem areas or maybe it's coming from the CEO, CEO and everybody's nodding yes, but it's not actually trickling down somewhere from upper management to middle management or wherever content gets deprioritized. Mm-hmm. If you're running into that scenario, you have to go to your Kathleen. So... My Kathleen is the VP of marketing. And that's when you need to start engaging other people who may be above your pay grade to have a larger discussion at a leadership level. I've had to do it before. You shouldn't immediately pull that ripcord because 90% of the time, that's not the problem. But you need to have situational awareness as someone who is managing that content calendar to understand if you're starting to see a pattern behavior that could speak to something more insidious, something that could actually undermine your ability to be successful at content in the long run so that's my soapbox down
1: <laughs> yeah well and i would just say so if that is the case that people are not and i don't like the term bought in if they don't own the content strategy and if they're not on the bus then they need yeah. to get off the bus that would be my so if you're looking for what's the senior executive answer to that if i had a vp that was not contributing and didn't want to do it We'd have some very tough conversations, and if they continued down that road, they wouldn't be doing what is is necessary to to be part of the the team here at Impact, right? And so, if you have a, if if you fully if the senior leaders fully own this strategy and this mindset, then everybody else in the organization has to.
0: You absolutely a hundred percent proved my point, because typically this is a very lonely position to be in. I've had heart-to-hearts, many happy hours at various inbounds in the past about people Mm -hmm. who were just feeling frustrated because they feel so alone. They are carrying the weight of the content strategy, and whether or not somebody else delivers, it's still their fault. It's still their butt on the line. They own that strategy. And you proved my point, because typically what will happen is this. You will go to that higher up. You will talk to your Kathleen, your Chris, your Bob, and their immediate reaction is, tell me who it is. We're going to have a conversation. Yeah. You know, they're not going to like that's them. not,
1: if that's not the answer, then your senior leaders aren't bought in or don't own it and you're doomed to fail would be like, and I know that that might be a very hard take, but if you don't have senior leadership buy-in to this idea, mm-hmm. it's going to be a one person show. You're going to struggle. You're not going to see results. You're not going to see any of the things that, that we know that content can do, um, and that's why I love like in Marcus's book. Like I, I, I want to say it's in like the first page.
0: They ask which, you answer. Yeah. yeah, they ask you if
1: he he says something like if you don't believe these these few things as truths, or that these things are possible, go return the book and get your money back. And like the whole idea is if you don't have full buy-in from the, the the leadership on this strategy you might as well not do it because you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, you know, I look, I've had experience with being that person at a different organization where with the help of impact, because, you know, Bob's been a friend of mine forever. We started to do this and didn't get the traction, didn't get the ownership from everybody. And, um, you know, they stopped doing content, um, to the best of my knowledge. And, you know, I made a move to impact because, uh, the timing aligned, but you know, I've seen it firsthand when you don't have the buy-in or the ownership at the senior level, you're, you are swimming against the, uh, swimming against the grain, right? Yeah.
0: And, and it's not so it, it, to be a little bit fluffy and it's not your fault if that's the case. I mean, yeah. it's really not, there's nothing you can do in that case, because that is something that needs to be pushed downward. Yes. There is one you thing do. you can
1: do. You can get Marcus Sheridan to come and talk to your company and get your senior leaders to buy into why shameless, shameless Marcus plug, but oh, that's is. the answer. If you, if you read the answer, they ask you answer. He talks specifically about a marketing manager who is struggling Mm-hmm. who couldn't get people to, to buy in. So he came in and then people owned the content strategy and they've been successful. So, I did
0: ask Marcus to come on my podcast. He sounds like he knows a couple of things about content.
1: Yeah. And he happens to also be an impactor, right? Like, So it's probably pretty easy to get him on the...
0: <laughs> so, okay. Taking this back full circle... I'm going to, I always ask people, you know, my trademark, my one thing, but we've kind of talked to two different audiences today. And in some cases it may be the same person. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone who feels like they don't have time?
1: It, that's an excuse. It's an excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the time there. There is something that you can move. There's some, there's, you can find 10 to thirty minutes every day that you can find by cutting certain things or just working a little bit longer to be able to deliver um, the content that's that's required of you if you're in an organization like one that we've been talking about.
0: And what's your one piece of advice to someone who's struggling to manage up or laterally with content contributors?
1: Be open and honest with them. Come from a come from that how can I help approach. Um, look at look at inbound leadership, look at our inbound manifesto and just approach things from that perspective and realize that it's not, that it's more in how you communicate what you're trying to get done than it is about just nagging somebody for a deadline. If you can articulate, you know, the positive side and, and come from a helpful perspective, you will be successful.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm going to make sure in the show notes to also embed the video of your inbound leadership talk, because I think it can provide a lot of context in terms of what we talked about today, in terms of applying those principles to how you manage content strategy. Um, but other than that, how can people get in touch with you if they have more questions or just want to pick your brain?
1: Yeah. So I am on Twitter at, at ChrisDupre82. Um, and I think that's the same thing on Instagram. And I'm you know, on LinkedIn Chris Dupre, shoot me a note, uh, connect with me there. Or you can go to Impact's website. And, uh, I think there's a button that says like, talk to Chris, maybe somewhere on our team page, but, um, more than happy to talk to, to anybody that, that wants to about content, about leadership, about running an organization, um, and about how we do things here at impact and how that can help you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. I'm going to find an excuse to bring you back.
1: Cool. Sounds good.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. I don't want to get too down in the weeds and overcomplicate things with uh, the one thing for this week. You know, the one thing that you can start doing right now to make your content instantly better. So here's the deal. Your one thing is to remember that making content a priority is a choice. Whether you're the person charged with creating or contributing, or the one ultimately responsible for ensuring your strategy about content is executed successfully. I mentioned it in passing during my chat with Chris, but Seth Godin really nailed it during his interview on HubSpot's The Growth Show when he said, If you can make a decision once, then the question isn't, should I do it? It's, what will I do? If you make the decision once to be a vegan, then you don't need to have a discussion with yourself every single night about whether or not to have a hamburger. If you make the decision to blog every single day, then the only discussion I have to have with myself is what's the best blog post I can write, not should I write a post. As Saturday Night Live producer Lorne Michaels has said, Saturday Night Live doesn't go on because it's ready. It goes on because it's 11.30. It's really that simple, guys and gals. If you and your organization have made the choice to rally behind Inbound and be the best educators you can be in your space through content, there is no other discussion you should be having. But the best part is that accepting this fact is so incredibly liberating. And I know that's what you hear in science fiction movies when aliens come down from space and they're like, resistance is futile. Just give in to the beauty and the bliss of not having a choice. That's not what I'm talking about. If you give yourself over to this fact, if you stop trying to mentally battle with yourself every single time you have to write something, Instead of spending all of these waking hours at the office mentally wringing your hands in anguish around whether or not the content will get done, you'll get to focus instead on those big ideas. You'll free up all of that mental energy to focus on stuff like telling valuable stories and sharing your voice with the world in new, compelling ways. Because creating content is never going to be easy. That's for damn sure. And I'm the first one to admit it. It's my job. But just because something is a challenge doesn't mean that it can't also at the same time be really fun or immensely rewarding. Okay? All right, this week's Weekly Awesome is a tool that some of you may have heard me talk about before, back in the day when I was still co-hosting Impact's Creators Block podcast. It's a website called 750words.com. It's based on a concept called the Morning Pages from the Artist's Way, and here's what the founder of 750 Words has to say about it. I've long been inspired by an idea I first learned about in the Artist's Way called Morning Pages. Morning pages are three pages of writing done every day, typically encouraged to be in longhand, typically done in the morning. That can be about anything and everything that comes into your head. It's all about getting out of your head and it is not supposed to be edited or censored in any way. The idea is that if you can get into the habit of writing three pages a day, that it will help you clear your mind and get the ideas flowing for the rest of the day. Unlike many other exercises in that book, I found this one actually worked and was really, really useful. So that's the end of her quote. Uh, Let's dive in more to my feelings on the matter. So 750words.com is actually an online and private way of practicing morning pages. But here's where I found the real power. I've been using 750 words now for close to a year. And in case you couldn't figure out, three pages longhand equates generally to 750 words. And in that time, I realized something. Yes, this practice is wonderfully freeing in that it helps me mentally clear out the cobwebs lingering between the tiny gray cells in my head. But committing myself to just stream of consciousness writing for 750 words per day, which usually takes me about 15 to 20 minutes since I kind of use it like a stream of consciousness diary, that's usually what's on my mind. Um, It showed me that practicing writing is kind of like practicing and getting better at a sport it makes the act of sitting down to write for the first time on a project when you have that moment where it's basically only a blank screen that's staring right back at you much less scary i still succumb to writer's block just like everyone else and i'm less but in the same time at the same time i'm less likely to second guess myself or get stalled. Because my daily practice has instilled this write your way out of it mentality where I feel as if I've been exercising my writing muscles to the point where it's just easier to sit down and write for work or pleasure. I don't hand ring, I don't freak out, I don't sit there and go, oh God, what do I do? Every single morning for 15 to 20 minutes, I'm just mentally training my brain to just start writing and start producing. Um, You know, again, it's not for everyone, but I have found it has radically transformed how I handle the challenge of writing itself. Now, I know it may sound crazy. You're like, Liz, oh my gosh, are you seriously telling me that content creation is already a freaking challenge for me, and now you want me to write 750 words in the morning before I even start writing for work? Again, not for everybody, but I will say this. Um, writing stream of consciousness is not the same as sitting down and writing an essay. You're not supposed to censor yourself. You're not supposed to edit yourself. You are supposed to sit down at your keyboard and go. I actually sometimes even make it kind of like a race with myself. I say, I'm going to give myself 20 minutes to produce 750 words of something. It doesn't matter what it is. So keep that in mind. I'm not asking you to suddenly start producing Hemingway level work. It's just... It's like going for a jog. It's like training for a marathon. It's just putting your muscles and doing a little mental exercise before you get the day started. All right. So another neat thing about this platform that I do want to share before I drop this subject is that it also instantly analyzes your writing when you've finished. And it gives you data about your mindset when you were writing it. Are you feeling more positive or negative? Are you thinking more about yourself? Are you thinking about others? Are you concerned about money or sex or religion? It's really cool. Um, Before you worry, though, I do want to reiterate that this is 100% private. You are the only one who ever sees your content or your analytics, unless for some reason you choose to share it, but by default, it is private. Um, Now, I love this project so much that I stuck around with it past the 30-day mark. So for the first 30 days, you use it, um, and you do get little badges along the way if you keep up a hot streak or something. Um, It is free, but after that, it is $5 a month just to fund the project and keep it going. There's like a fun little leaderboard, and there are little challenges and things like that. But if this is something that intrigues you, I would just say, you know, try it for a week and see what happens. It Again, writing is kind of like practicing for a sport. The more you use those muscles, the more you get used to just turning your brain on and letting stuff spill out and figuring out how that works in terms of translating it into words, it gets so much easier for me to sit down and say, OK, in this moment, I need to immediately perform. It, I was completely mind boggled by that. Anyway, all right. That's enough me rambling. That's it for this week. Don't forget, you can reach me online at Naptown Pint or at Content Lab Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to sign up for the Content Lab newsletter, the link for which is in the show notes. The September issue already went out, obviously, because now it's October. But the October issue will be coming out next week a little bit early uh, because, obviously, I'm going away for my birthday. And finally, don't forget to leave a review. I've seen a few more pop up and it just makes my heart sore to see what you guys think about this podcast. Not only does this help make sure that I am creating something that's ridiculously valuable and helpful for you, it also helps others find this podcast. It really is that simple. Um, Also, by the way, even though I'm out next week, yes, the newsletter is going out, but there is also still going to be a fresh episode of the Content Lab in your feed. So as always... Until next week.